Hey, this is David Merrill, pastor of the Well Church. I would like to first thank you for downloading the app and listening to what God is doing through the life and ministry of the Well Church. I would also ask that before you listen to this message, that you would pray that God not only continues to transform lives through this ministry, but also that as you hear the Word of God proclaimed, pray that the Holy Spirit would convict you in areas that your life has not been given over to God, empower you to repent and turn, but also embolden you to be doers of the word and not simply hearers, in order that you become a light in your homes, in your schools, in your workplaces, and even in your local church body. Let us be radically in love with Jesus and radically in love with his people. Once again, I just thank you for listening and may God bless you abundantly. Last week, we began a new series in the Gospel of John, and it's the Gospel of John, the Gospel of Life. We, we covered a lot last week, covered a lot, and, and we saw that the author of John is John, okay? We saw that he wrote it in Ephesus. We saw he wrote it between 80 and 90. We also saw the purpose of the Gospel of John, right? The purpose of the Gospel of John is found in John chapter 20, verse, what, 30 to 31. This is what it says, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in His name. So last week we saw that, that regardless of what people view of Jesus is, regardless if they, they believe he is Michael the archangel, just a great prophet, whether he's the reincarnation of Vishnu, whether he, he was uh, the, the, the prophet, the 24th prophet of Muhammad, right? regardless of what you believe, John's clearing the fog and he's saying, look, here is who Jesus is. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And so his goal with the, with the John, the, the gospel, his goal is that for those who are unbelievers to come to a living knowledge and to receive the true Jesus and who he actually is. And so it's not, but we also learned it's not just for unbelievers. We saw that it was for all believers, right? All believers, right. Why? Because John says, Jesus says that for you who are in me, we need to what? Abide in me to remain in me, to stay in me, connected to the vine, right? We, we saw that, right? How do you produce the fruit of the Spirit? You stay, remain connected to the vine. You remain in Jesus. So this gospel is for the unbelievers, evangelistic, but it's also for us who are believers that we learn to abide in Jesus. We also learn that Jesus was the Alpha and the Omega. He's the prophecy of the old and the fulfillment of the new. That when God speaks, we see in Amos chapter 3, verse 7, it says that surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. So God says, and the way that God has structured all of this and his sovereign plan is, look, I'm going to tell you before I move. Right? Why? Why does God tell us before he actually accomplishes it? Because he, three reasons, I believe. Number one, for the, God, the glory of God, right? That nobody else gets the glory, but when God prophesies and fulfills, Jesus is the prophecy in the old and the living fulfillment in the new. The word become flesh of the old, the word of the old, the fulfillment of the new. But I'm going to tell you and I'm going to accomplish. But secondly, why don't we believe that Muhammad was a great holy man sent from God? That's, yeah. Still. He's still dead. What, but so is Elijah. Well, not Elijah. That's a bad thing. Uh, so, so is Malachi. So was John the Baptist. 
But John the Baptist was sent by God. Why don't we believe it? Because God never promised that he was going to send Muhammad. God never prophesied that he was going to send Brigham Young, Joseph Smith, Smith uh, 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 Charles Taze Russell. He never prophesied that. But we see speaking from the beginning to the end, the word, the alpha, the omega, God promises, God fulfills. And this builds our faith as believers that we see God coming through over and over and over again. It strengthens the belief of the unbeliever. It strengthens the belief of the unbelief. God fulfills his prophecy. We saw that Jesus was eternal. We saw that he was there before. He was, he was with God and he was God, not a God, but God. That's what we covered. We covered a lot last week. But this morning, we're going to jump back into John, and we're going to take it from there, 4 and 5 in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, 1 through 5 is what we're going to read, but we're going to focus on 4 and 5. So it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life. This is where we're focusing. In him was life, and the light was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Okay, so it says, in him, who's him? Jesus. So in Jesus, there's life and there's light. In Jesus, there's life and light. Um, and what we're going to see here in the gospel is, as we're starting to unfold in these next couple of verses is John is about to summarize the ministry and purpose of Jesus. Why did the word become flesh? What was the ministry of Jesus? What was his purpose? What did he come to accomplish? He's beginning to summarize the entire gospel in these next few verses we're going to study. So in him was life. What does it mean for God to have life? What it means is God is not pantheistic. God is not pantheistic. John right here destroys the doctrine of pantheism. Pantheism, the word pantheism in the Greek, it's pan meaning all, theo meaning God, right? So it means all is God. Now the redheaded stepchild of pantheism is the new age, right? The new age kind of birthed out of this, that everything is God. God is in everything. The tree is God. All the matter, all the forces, everything that keeps this universe together, all is God. And so you're going to have people saying, well, God is in the trees and God is the trees. And and, and this crystal has got life of God and the supernaturals and the, and the astrology. God is in the... Stru- really? But here, why is this wrong? Why is this thinking wrong? Because of what John says here in verse 4. John destroys pantheism and the new age with four words. In him was life. The word for life is the word zoe. The word for life is the word zoe, which means spiritual life, not as opposed to bios, which is physical life. In chapter 5 of John, John, Jesus says, For the Father has life in himself, and he has granted the Son to have life in himself. So now we see that God has life in himself. Jesus has life in himself. This is a clear represent, clear description, clear, um, uh, clearly showing that Jesus is divine. But this attribute of God, of life in himself, is what we know as aseity. The aseity of God. And basically what all this means is that God is self Self-sufficient, self-sustaining, self in him is life, right? 
God is eternal. God is self-existent. The self-existence of God. Okay? That is what it means, the acidity of God. God is self-existent. So let me know, Jesus is eternal. Jesus is the second person of a triune God. Jesus is creator. And Jesus is self-existent. And whether or not you've ever heard of the acidity of God, ever focused on the self-existence of God, the reality is, is this is probably one of the most foundational doctrines of the Christian faith. If this doctrine, if this attribute of God is not there, all of this crumbles. All of this crumbles. Why? Because why is the new age, why is pantheism wrong? Why is it wrong? Because what we see is that God created all things. It destroys the order of creation. God is not in all things, but God created all things. You see, all things that we see, as we saw last week, is genomai. It became. And I could say it's becoming, right? We're becoming. We're changing. We all have changed over the years, right? Some of us, we're decaying. We're sagging. We're getting bigger. Some of us in the wrong ways, right? We're, we're growing, we're maturing, we're changing, we're adapting, we're decaying. Eventually you're going to be in the ground and then worms will eat you. But, but you are changing. And right here we see the distinction between a permanent God who's eternal, non-changing, everlasting, has life, the source of life, and all that is becoming. And if you get rid of this doctrine, if you get rid of this doctrine that God is eternal God is permanent unchanging then everything else crumbles this goes back to Genesis 1 1 in the beginning God created heavens and earth now why do you think that this doctrine is under attack there are two doctrines that the Christian faith stands on that cannot survive without them that's the doctrine of the resurrection and the doctrine of Genesis 1 1 Without these two doctrines, we have no faith. This is why Paul says, if the dead are not raised, I am above all men to be pitied, right? I wasted my life. I gave my whole life to Jesus. I gave my whole life to this. If the dead didn't raise, if Jesus isn't resurrected, then I'm just going to die in the ground like everybody else. Let's make merry, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die if the dead are not raised. The doctrine of the resurrection is fundamental. Without it, we might as well just go out and party and live in the world. That's why we see atheists, the world, the satanic world, everybody is going after this doctrine, trying to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? Because whether they admit it or they consciously know it, if they can disprove that, Satan understands that if I could get rid of this doctrine, I get rid of it all. But the second doctrine we cannot get rid of is Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Why do you think that this foundational doctrine is under assault? Over the past hundred years, what have we been trying to do? We get rid of that theology, get rid of that doctrine, replace it with the evolution that you came here by millions and millions of years, billions of years of time and chance, and you became unlike, right? Then you became, well, you became an ooze, a primordial ooze kind of thing, and you morphed into a fish that didn't have legs, but then the fish decided, hey, I want to walk, and it grew into legs, and then the light, you know, the grew, all these, that's you, that's your story. Let's get rid of that. And slowly, we saw this. Slowly, once, once uh, evolution was entered into the schools, what did they take out? 
the creation. They took out God. What did we start taking after that shortly after? Taking out God of the government, taking out God of every place. What did we see after that? We saw women's liberation. We saw sexual liberation. We saw homosexual liberation. We saw other sexuals, all pantheists, everybody's sexual liberation. Now we're beginning to see, we're beginning to see a pedophilia liberation. All of these things. Why? Because once you remove the foundation of God created you, you are creation then there's nothing that holds us. And where sin increases, so will death. And so this has been under assault. And even Christians, we, we get caught up in this. Well, I, Genesis doesn't really matter. It's not a foundational aspect to my faith. I'm a New Testament Christian. Right? I just believe Jesus, yeah, that's fine. We cannot get rid of the self-existence of God. God was there in the beginning before the beginning, before that, what does Acts say? Acts chapter uh, 17 says, for in him we live, we move, and have our being. Why is pantheism in the new age wrong, and why is it deadly? Because it directly assaults Genesis 1.1. To say that God is a tree. God is not a tree. He's not in the trees. He's not even a part of the molecular system of the trees. There's a distinction between a tree and God in that God created the tree. The tree depends on an outside source for life. God depends on nothing for an outside source, right? You see, if God was, if he was Jeremiah, if he became, if God was not self-existent and he depended on something else to give him life, then he would not be God. We would not worship Yahweh. We would try to figure out who else has given him life because that's God. Does that make sense? So God is the source of life. Nothing flows into him. Everything flows out of him. He's the source of love. That's why God cannot be unloving. He's the source of mercy. Why God can't be unmerciful. He's the source of grace. Why he's the source of life. He's the source of light. He's the source of truth. He's the source of justice. All of these attributes of God are not something that he is a slave to, but they flow out of. Does that make sense? All right. So John says, in him was life. So he was self-existent, the aseity of God, but also in him was light. And we're going to see these two words throughout the gospel of John. And so we're going to kind of lay a foundation of the two words, life and light, life and light. John chapter 12, he says, I have come as the light into the world. Whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Chapter 14, he says, I am the way, truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 9 says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then John 3 says that the light has come into the world And the men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So what does it mean that Jesus is light? What is light? Light in Scripture. Light in Scripture refers to Jesus, God's attributes, mainly truth and holiness. The light over and over again refers to the attributes of God, mainly truth and holiness. Psalms 119 says, your light or your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. In other words, what John is saying here is that Jesus came as the light of God, the light of God, the truth and holiness of God. And so when Jesus came into this world, he became the living manifestation of truth and holiness. And not only what he said, but what he did and who he was. He was truth. He was holy. 
holiness. He was the wisdom of God, the logos of God. He manifests, he walked in the flesh as the truth, as the light, as the holiness, right? Especially when you contrast this with what is it? The darkness. What is darkness in scripture? Sin and death, sin and lies. It's the dominion of the evil one. It's the dominion of the enemy. So God comes as the God of light, Jesus as the source of light, truth, and holiness. Satan is under the dominion or leads the dominion of lies and sin. Does that make sense? That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, um, but if our gospel is hid, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age have blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Okay, so he says these people are blind to the light. The light came into this world, into the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. They're blind to it. Now, why are they blind? Some of us go, well, that's, they can't help it. They're blind, right? They can't see. How could Jesus expect them to see if they're blinded? What does Jesus tell them? He says, you're blinded. You did not receive the light. Why? Because you're in love with the darkness. The reason you do not want the truth and the light of God, the truth and the holiness of Christ, is because when I am here, you love the darkness. You love your sin. You love this world. You love the lies of the enemy. You love this. And so we're going to start breaking apart more. What does it look like, this plan of God through the light and the life of God in these next verses in chapter uh, 1, verse 6? He says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into this world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came into his own, and and his own did not receive him. But as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay, so here we see the whole purpose of John, the whole ministry of Jesus in one section. And it says, a man sent by God. Who is that man? John the Baptist. John the Baptist was sent by God. How do we know, going back to the Alpha Omega, how do we know that John the Baptist was sent by God? Because John said so? No, because 700 years ago, Isaiah wrote, a voice one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Uh, Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 says, behold, I will send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. John is the omega of the alpha that was prophesied about. And that's why we know he's a man sent by God. And so he comes to prepare people for the Messiah. Basically, John's whole job was for the last 400 years, it's been silent. Between Malachi uh, and uh, Matthew, nothing. God's not speaking. People are looking for the the, the Messiah. People are waiting for the Messiah. It's quiet. It's everybody's wondering, when is he going to come? John was sent to prepare people and say, the time is here. So he comes out and proclaims, repent, get ready, prepare your hearts, prepare your minds, get ready because the Messiah, this era, the new age, the time is here of fulfillment. The Messiah is 
here. And he says he proclaimed this, and many people, when the light came, they still rejected it. Notice what it says. It says, and when he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Could you imagine this? I was thinking about this this week, and the thought came to me. As we studied last week, God created the heavens and the earth. He created, all, he created us all where the Imago Dei were made in his image. But think about this. Imagine being one of the disciples. I've never thought about this, but you're laying down in the, in the, on a hillside with Jesus and looking up at the stars, and you see a shooting star, and you're like, wow, that was beautiful. And Jesus is like, yeah, I made that. Yeah, let me tell you about how they made the moon right? You know, imagine, I mean, think about it. Get your mind around this. I was thinking, this is crazy. You're sitting with Jesus at dinner, okay? Now, it's one thing to be blown away by he's the Messiah, the the Yeshua HaMashiach, the one that was prophesied about. You're like, okay, the, the dude is here, the holy man of God. That's one thing, but to be sitting next to the one who made you. Could you imagine that? Like, I, don't, I don't think I can get my full mind wrapped around that, but the truth is, is we ought to be seeing Jesus this way. But it's a whole different story when you're really walking with the person and you're touching the person. You made me. Uh, you break up. You gave me that. Like, that's weird. That's crazy. Do you know, and, and my, my train of thought, I started thinking about this week. I was like, but you know what I don't ever remember in the, in the Gospels of, 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 about the story, the narratives of the, of the apostles and the and disciples walking with Jesus? I don't ever remember them telling Jesus no, right? Now you have Peter getting a little loudmouth, a little lippy, but, but Satan goes, you're Satan. Get behind me, Satan, right? Like, so Jesus is ready, but it's because he doesn't want Jesus to go to the cross. But you never have these examples of Jesus saying, hey, I want you guys to go two by two, go out into every village, every town, every, every valley, and proclaim the gospel. You don't, have, you don't have John out there, nah, I don't feel like it. This is not my calling. It's not my gifting. That's a, that's a, that's a bar thing. It's a Bartholomew. That's, that's his deal. I'm just not gifted at that. I'm just going to go piddle. I'm going to go watch TV because that's my thing. All right? I'm really gifted at video games. Like You don't have John, Jesus saying, hey, I want you to go out and I want you to go gather food up so we can feed the 5,000, the multitudes. And I'm like, nah, I'm just, you know what? We're hungry too, Jesus. Get them to feed me. So you have none of that language when Jesus commands. You don't have Peter saying, how many times should I forgive? Seven? And Jesus like, 70 times seven. You don't have Peter going, no. Why? Why? Because if we're going to see here, I'm going to break this apart, but they understood. They received Jesus. They understood that they were in the presence of not only their Savior, not only the Messiah, not only the source of life, but they understood that they were in the presence of their creator. And who has the authority or the right to tell God no? But not only that, but they also understood that Jesus, who he was, and that he was the source of life, the source of light, the source of truth and holiness, that if I'm going to live, I need him. And why would I disobey the one that I'm made in the image of, the one who made me, who also is promising me life? Why would I say no to him? 
You never see this idea of no. But what we have is Jesus does come into the light and much of the world rejects him. But the one group that was supposed to receive him was who? The Israelites, the nation of Israel. And he says, I came into my own and my own did not receive me. But once again, this is not a shock to God. This was prophesied in Isaiah. He says, he, and he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. So his own people rejected him. But what does it say in verse 12? But as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of the blood, not of the will of flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. And later on in chapter 12, Jesus says, he says, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. So this light came into the world. The truth and holiness of God came into this world. And Jesus didn't just come into this world to be the light so that we have a model to watch after, to follow after, and say, oh, I want to be like Jesus. He didn't come in the world to just be a model of how to walk in morality and truth. Jesus came into this world to actually make you a child of light. He came into this world to make you a son and daughter of light. Jesus came into this world to restore the Garden of Eden. He came in to bring religion. Now we hate that word religion, right? I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. I'm not, I'm not a part of a religion. I got a relationship. We love those words. But do you know that religion is actually biblical? James says that the religion that, the, that God approves of is what? Taking care of widows and orphans. Now, now, here's the thing. The church has read this verse over and over again, and they've interpreted it to mean what James is saying is that the religion that God approves of is literally taking care of widows and orphans. So we are attached to orphanages. We're attached to widows' ministries. But the question is, first of all, what is religion? And why did James isolate widows and orphans? Have you ever thought about that? Because Jesus says, take care of the least of these. And the least of these is prisoners, the naked, the sick, right? He goes on a list of the people that we should take care of. But then James is saying, well, no, but this is the two that God approves of. Why? See, to understand this is to understand the word religion. And to understand the word religion is to understand God's redemptive plan from the beginning to the end. The word religion literally means reconnecting. That's what it means. So when, when John, James says, the reconnecting that God approves, the religion that God approves, now stay with me. If there's reconnecting, what happened before reconnecting? Disconnected. You guys are good. <laughs> now here's the hard one. If there was disconnection, what happened before disconnection? Connection. The story of God can be described in four words. Connection, disconnected, uh, reconnecting, and then eventually, Revelation 20, 21, connected. And religion is over because we're actually connected with God. But what happened in the connection? What's the connection? The Garden of Eden. 
No, you stay with me. We're going to learn about this, the narrative of God, what God is doing, what Jesus is doing through as the light. Here we have the connection, the full connection of God. God is God, and Adam and Eve are creation. And there's this proper order that has to take place that was in place in the garden. Where God is God, Eve and Adam, they were the created beings. So they honored God as God. They submitted to God as God. They obeyed God as God. They loved God as God. They worshiped God as God. They sat under God as God. And because of that, they pulled from God as God. They pulled from him as life. They pulled from him as light. Why do you think there's no death in the garden? Because they were connected to the source of life. They cannot die as long as there's connection. The only way for death to, be, to become is for that connection to be disconnected, which is why what we see next is what we see is them walking out of this connection, out of this proper order. Once again, what's the proper order? God as creator, us as creation. Therefore, we honor him as creator. We worship him as creator. We serve him as creator. We obey him as creator. And when this takes place, when this proper order takes place, we see throughout scripture that there's peace and there's harmony. But when we step out of this, and this takes humility, this is why God says that the, the pride will be destroyed. The pride is a very deadly sin because with pride, you are declaring that you are above. Humility in its simplistic form is to put God in the proper order and to place you in the proper order. God is God, I'm not. And what right do I have to say no or to disobey or to walk away or disagree with God? He is God, but Adam and Eve, what do we see? We see them stepping out. Now, in this deception, we see three things. We see Eve, it's the, the pride of their life, or the, the pride, we see them wanting to be like God. We see the lust of the flesh. We see Eve seeing that it was good for food and wanting to uh, satisfy and gratify their flesh. But we also see an ignorance of the word, which led to deception of the enemy. You see what happened? If you read the narrative, Eve says, well, God said that we shall not touch of the tree of good and evil. Did God say don't touch it? No, he said don't eat it. Right? Now, this wasn't, this wasn't the only command in Genesis. God gave him another command. He said be fruitful and multiply. That's an easy one, a fun one. This is the one they had a hard time with. Eve confused it and said, no, God said don't touch. So, this allowed the ignorance of Eve uh, in the word of God allowed Satan to, to pounce on that and deceive her. And this brings up a good point because, look, I don't care how much you want to walk in holiness, how much you want to follow God, how much you want to obey God. If you do not have the word of God placed on your minds, hearts, you are an easy target for the enemy to come and deceive. What is Satan called? He disguises himself as the angel of light, of truth. And holiness. Satan comes in as, a, as an angel of truth. And he takes the word of truth and he molds it and manipulates it so he can deceive you. And if you don't have the true light as the source coming into, if you don't have the true light of God coming, meditating on the day and night, you will be deceived. So they stepped out of this order. They disobeyed God and they broke this connection. Which is why from Genesis 6 on, what do we notice? We notice genealogies and death, right? Enosh lived so many years and, and then died. 
He lived so many years and then died. Noah lived so many years and then died. Why? Because where's there's the, the disconnection from the life breeds death. And not just physical death, but spiritual death. The connection was broken. No longer were they submitting under God as God, as him, honoring him as, him as God, obeying him as God, but they chose to break the connection in their disobedience. And they have been disconnected from their father and they have a new father. What does Jesus say? You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. You see, when we have this disconnection, it did not leave you an orphan. It did not leave you fatherless. You have a father. You have a father and you bear the characteristics of your father. Just like my kids and your kids. You look at your kids and, and, and you say, oh, I see my eyes in them. That's my eyes. Not when they're really babies, because they just look like little gremlins, but they don't. You know, you start looking at the characteristics of your baby, and you see yourself in your children, right? There's no difference when it comes to this disconnect. We now have a new father, and you bear the characteristics of your father. You lie because you are a spitting image of your father. You walk in sin, and you love it. Why? Because you are a chip off the old block. You love the darkness. Why? Because the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You are your father. You bear the image of your father. Your father knows your name. You know his voice and love it, and he calls you son. He calls you daughter. You are his child. And when the light came into the kingdom of the darkness, the darkness fled. The darkness fled like a light to a cockroach because you did not want the light. You did not desire the truth. You did not desire the holiness of God that when the light came into the world, you fled and you ran because you love the darkness and you hate the truth. You hate it. You love your sin. You love your desires. You love your pleasure. You love the voice of your, your father because he gives you what you want. You love it. But God is not done. He wasn't content with a disconnection. God had a plan. God had a plan to bring forward this reconnection, to bring forward a new religion, to bring forward the word religion, right? Now, who is this plan? Jesus. But once again, how do we know it was Jesus? Because God has set the plane. God has set the standard. God has set the format. He set the, the shadow. He's given us imagery to prepare ourselves for the coming Messiah. He gives us the nation of Israel. Exodus chapter 19, it says this. This is, the, this is the shadow, as Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 says, this is the shadow of the good things to come. Who's the good thing? Jesus. So this is the shadow. Listen. And Moses went up on the mountain, and God called him from the mountain, saying, thus you shall say to the house of Israel, tell the children of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians 
and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now listen to this. Here's the covenant. Here's the standard. Here's us getting back to the proper order. He says, now therefore, if you indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, Here's the commands. Here's the standard. Here's the proper order. Me as God, you as creation. Me as Lord, you as servant. Me as, me as master, you as slave. Obey my voice and keep my covenant. Then you shall be a special treasure to me. Above all the people in the earth. Listen what else he says. This is beautiful. And you shall be mine, to, be, to me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These words you shall speak to the children of Israel. So God gives the shadow. God gives the promise. Now what's the problem with Israel? They are not of the light. They are still under the, 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 the power of this dark world. They cannot accomplish the obedience. They cannot accomplish the commands because there's still this disconnect between them and God. And this is was never supposed to, the law was never supposed to allow them to, to do this, to bring the connection. It was always supposed to show them that they can't. And that should show us all in leading us to the fulfillment of all of this, Jesus Christ. But we also know in Jeremiah 31, what does he say? Jeremiah says, I am making a new covenant with you. What's the new covenant? That I'm going to take my word, my light, my truth, my holiness, and I'm going to put it where? In you. Written on your heart. I'm going to make you a child of light. A child of truth of holiness, of the word, where the word of life is literally inside of you and you become a child of light. Now notice what, remember Exodus 19, notice what Peter says. Tell me what this sounds like to those who are in Christ. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into marvelous light. John says, but God, as many as receive him. This is the story of reconnection. You see, why did James say the religion that God desires is one that takes care of widows and orphans? What is the common thread between the widows and orphans? They are disconnected from their proper relationship. They are disconnected, the widow to her husband, the orphan to her father. The religion that God approves of is the reconnection of the children back to their father, of the bride back to the groom. The reconnection is that God wants us to become children of light. And this is what Colossians says. It says that he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. But listen, if you are a child of God, a child of light, have a new father and walked away from the, the father of this darkness, just as you used to bear the characteristics of the father of lies, you now have a new father and you ought to be a spitting image of him. And bear the characteristics of your new father. Paul says in Ephesians, 
For you were once in darkness, but now you are not in, but you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. One of the practices that I do quite often in my life is I ask myself, whose son do I look like? And I believe that's a good practice because the Bible says make sure your calling and election is sure. Examine your life, examine your works, examine the fruit. Ask yourself, whose child do you look like? You see, Jesus came to not only die for our sins, but to make us children of truth and holiness, that the word of God can be planted on your heart, that you become sons of the light, that you no longer walk in darkness, that you are different, that you are new, that you are a son and daughter of the living God, thus looking like him, thus being connected to him, thus obeying him as God, serving him as God, worshiping him as God, honoring him as God, being connected to the source of Zoe, life, spiritual life. And we're going to see over and over and over again throughout this about what does it mean to abide in Jesus. But for now, to abide in Jesus means that we understand that there was a disconnection. We understand that we have a new father. And we understand the reason for this disconnection is because I did not honor him as God. I did not serve him as God. I did not obey him as God. I didn't even see him as God. And then I understand that Jesus came to restore that and to bring me back to that proper order of honor and obedience to bring peace and harmony. And he gave us the means to do so. So let me ask you a question. Whose child do you look like? Some of us in this room would be thinking, I don't know I'm looking at my life, I'm thinking about my life, and I look more like a child of darkness than I do a child of light. But David, I said a prayer 10 years ago. I remember it. I said a prayer. I got baptized. I, I, I said this thing two years ago. I, I felt like I needed, I felt real. It felt real. Like I was really excited about it. But I look at my life and it seems more like a child of darkness than the son of light. I, I don't know what's happening in my life. I don't know what's going on in my life. I'll tell you what's happening in your life. Jesus tells us what's happening in our lives. He says it in Matthew with the soil, the parable of the soil. Jesus says there will be people when the word goes out, it will fall on different types of soil, some on the weeds, some in the rocks, some in the path, and the ones in the, in the rocks will sprout up and grow and be strong, but don't have any roots because of the rock, and the sun will come out and wither it, and Jesus explains, here's the reason why it gets withered. Because of the persecutions and the pressure from the world on account of the word, of the truth, what Jesus says is that you received the light, but when you stepped out into the darkness and you saw the persecution and the pressure of what it means to actually follow God, to sit under God, to sit under his word, to obey his word, to be under him as creator and me as creation, you saw the pressure, you felt the pressure, and you backed down. You said, it's not worth it. You didn't see God as the source and the truth. You didn't see God as the light and the source. 
And I said this when we were going through the parables, but I believe that the churches are filled with withered up plants who received God at one point, but never took root, never took hold, never actually received Jesus as the life and the light. Listen, here's the interesting thing about all of this. There's two things, life and light. Why does Paul say to believe in Jesus, to receive Jesus, to be saved, you need to believe that Jesus resurrected from the grave or believe in your heart and confess that he is what? Lord, what's so special about those two things? What does the resurrection of the grave prove about Jesus? That in him was life. That he is not held down by death. What does it mean to put Jesus as Lord? He is God. He is creator. We are not. So when Paul says to believe, when John says to receive, it is to believe not only as Jesus as Savior, not only to put your faith in the resurrection and the life of Jesus, but also in the lordship of Jesus. We have done a huge disfavor and a bastardization of the gospel in the modern evangelical church because we will get up on the stage and say Jesus is your savior. He loves you and he saved and he died for your sins and everybody in the room will say I see I'm a sinner. I have messed up. I messed up this morning. I need a savior especially if I tell you hey there's a place called hell. Who wants to go to hell? I need to say, I could have somebody to rescue me from hell? Sign me up. What do I got to do? Take a bath? Okay, I'll jump in the bathtub. I mean, that's, that's pretty simple because there's no way water down there. I'll, I'll sign up. And so we say this message of Jesus is Savior. Receive Jesus Christ. Be in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Savior, Savior, Savior. And we all know I need a Savior. I don't want to go to hell. I need something. I need somebody. But the problem is we never have received Jesus as God, as Lord. And so we go out of these walls as Jesus as our Savior. But God is still, is still not our Father. We still have a different Father. And He's the Father of lies. We love it. We love the voice of the Father out there. We love the desires of the flesh out there. We love the pleasures of the flesh out there. We love the darkness. And we love the fact that we could have our darkness with Satan as Lord and still have a means when we die to get to heaven with Jesus as Savior. John says, for those who receive him, all of him, every bit of who Jesus is. As God, as the light, as the source, and receives it to now restore this new order, the proper order, the reconnection with their creator. To him, to her, there is life everlasting. Because when you see that proper order and when you see who Jesus is, you will run to him, to abide in him, to pull life from him because you need him for life. You need him for truth. You need him for life. But if you love the darkness, you do not need Jesus for anything but until you die. 
So you'll spend your entire life coming to church as a withered up plant and living in the darkness because it makes you feel good and you love it. Hoping that one day when all this is said and done, some prayer you said when you were 12 or 15 or 19 or 37 stuck and he saves you from eternity and hell. Jesus is the light and the life. And we have to receive him as such. So let me ask you again a question. Whose child are you? Has this connection been restored? 